And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. You're going to hear that introduction a second time, but this is this is an addition. This is time travel. That's that's what kind of Saturday it was in college football. We had to time travel. The buzzing you hear right now is the turnover chainsaw. Oregon State has fired it up one final time. The Beavers are in victory formation as I speak at at a basically empty L.A. Coliseum. Oregon State is finishing off a 45-27 win against USC. The first time Oregon State has won at USC since September 1960. Yes, the last time the Beavers won at the Coliseum... It was six weeks away from John F. Kennedy beating Richard Nixon in the election. That's how long ago that was. 45 to 27, Oregon State wins this game. The Beavers rushed 50 times for 323 yards. They averaged 6.5 yards a carry. Chance Nolan, the quarterback that they went to, basically halftime of the Purdue game, 15 of 19, For 213 yards, four TDs, that's at 11.2 yards per attempt average. This was a complete butt kicking. As I will say later in the show, you can't fire Clay Helton again. But whoever gets the USC job, you have a monumental task ahead of you. Guys, if you haven't read Bruce Feldman and Antonio Morales' story in The Athletic about how USC got here, by all means, check it out. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, subscribe to read it. You, you will understand better why USC is in the position it's in. But whoever gets that job, you got to fix USC at the line of scrimmage because they are getting just whipped up front. So why am I here by myself? Well, I let Ari Wasserman go to bed, but we got we to take care of our West Coast listeners. So we're tagging this thing on the beginning of the show. Oregon State crushes USC. Meanwhile, in Eugene, if you're just waking up, You saw the final score was Oregon 41, Arizona 19. You're like, ah, no big deal. Well, that game was 24 to 19, Oregon, when the fourth quarter started. Uh, Jordan McLeod, the USF transfer who started for Arizona on Saturday night, had a pretty good game. The the, the offense with Jordan McLeod running it was pretty effective, and Oregon had a rough time stopping Arizona on the ground. So it's going to be – I say that on the ground – had a rougher time stopping Arizona early on through the air and on the ground, then tightened up as the as the game went on. The final score, again, not indicative of how close it was for the first three quarters. Oregon, as my friend Dan Rubenstein, the Oregon graduate, often says, when you're clunkers, they won this clunker. But they've got to go to, to Stanford next week. We'll see how they handle a team that is pretty good at the point of attack. But... Oregon is the Pac-12's best chance 
for a playoff team. I'd say they have a very good chance to make the playoff the way things are going. Clemson taking its second loss. It doesn't look like the ACC is going to be able to put a team in there. Ohio State whipped up on Akron, but again, it's Akron. The Big Ten still feels pretty open. Oklahoma looked really shaky against West Virginia. Oregon, with a win in hand at Ohio State, if they can just go 8-1 and through the Pac-12, I think Oregon's in the playoff. But the Ducks, little, little room for concern, but they also averaged six yards a carry. Travis Dye carried five times for 92 yards. This is an 18.4-yard average. It, I think the Ducks are going to be okay. But another crazy Pac-12 after dark, which capped off an incredibly crazy Saturday in college football. Let's talk about all that happened with Ari Wasserman right now. That is the reggaeton horn of chaos because that's what we got on Saturday. Let me, let me, before I introduce Ari Wasserman and bring him on to gloat about all of the, uh, very accurate predictions he made on Friday. Uh, let me just run down the list here of the things we need to talk about here in the next, I don't know. We might be here three hours. Clemson loses to NC state. Oklahoma survives West Virginia. Arkansas beats Texas A&M, Notre Dame beats Wisconsin, Georgia Tech crushes North Carolina, Baylor beats Iowa State, Michigan State and BC win in crazy overtime games, Rutgers covers at Michigan, an Ohio State linebacker quit the team mid-game, we think, maybe, LSU wins by three and the death chip is off the table for me, Auburn nearly loses to Georgia State, Benches Bo Nix, gets bailed out by the refs. And now TJ Finley may be starting at LSU next week. Georgia could have won by a million. Texas hangs 70 on Texas Tech. And here's where I'm going to bring in Ari Wasserman to predict a national title for the Longhorns. Hi, Ari. Are they the best team in the Big 12 or what? Like, that's that's the best thing that could have happened for me, right? Uh, that was... The last Saturday that I will ever be without a daughter, and I can't tell you, I thought <laughs> you my life was going to be crazy next week. <laughs> tell me what's crazier than that. Um, I don't even know where to begin. All. Where do you even begin with I that? Say we, I say we start in Raleigh. Let's start in Raleigh because if this had happened any other year and it didn't have the prelude that we had, we'd be going nuts because Clemson lost a regular season game in the ACC for the first time since 2017. That's not true. They lost to Notre Dame last year in what was an ACC game at the time. But this one wasn't as surprising because we've seen Clemson struggle on offense, but still actually seeing it, especially after NC State misses the not quite chip shot, but almost a chip shot field goal at the end of regulation and has to go to overtime. I mean, that was, that was wild. And and does Clemson have anybody healthy left to play the rest of the way? I know that this is like the Ari Wasserman gloating episode, but don't tell everybody that didn't call Clemson missing the the playoff this year before the season started on the show. And I just, I, I don't know if this was the way it was supposed to manifest in my mind. 
Because, listen, Clemson got a bad rap uh, losing two very important pieces to their team in the middle of that game. And, um, you know, maybe if those two players are out there, you know, Will Shipley and and Brian Brzee, I can never pronounce that man's name right. So forgive me. And even if I know what it is, I can't I think say it's, it right. I, I, believe, I believe it's Brzee. And Brzee. remember, they were already... They, they were already without one of their best defensive tackles. So when he goes down, you're missing your two starting defensive tackles. Then Shipley goes down, you're missing your best back. Yeah, it, it, it got to be pretty the, rough there for Clemson. The question I had for you before the year started, and I'll ask you again, is the Dabo Sweeney way sustainable in modern day college football? Um, the way that he recruits, the no transfers thing, the no official visits after you, no visiting after you commit, like all the things that he does, you know, and they're still the fourth most talented team in college football this year. But in a world where they don't have a stark advantage at quarterback anymore, the way that they used to with Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, their team isn't as stacked as an Alabama or an Ohio State. I just don't know if this team right now, unless they change some things, is just a sustainable model for winning every single year, no matter what, um, in college football. I'm not saying they're not a great program or they're never going to win a national title again or they're not going to make the playoff. But Clemson was on that plane of every single year, no matter what happened, no matter what turnover they had, no matter who left, whatever, that they were going to be one of the best teams in college football and run through the ACC like it's no problem. And it's like, now look at them. They're, they're already two losses and we're not even a quarter of the way through the season yet. So it's just like, that's just where I think this is a very critical juncture for Clemson. Don't you of like, not just how they finish this year, but where they go as a crossroads of the program. Am I, am I overreacting? No, you're not overreacting, but I do, I do think the fix is, is a little simpler than you think. Start taking transfers. Like if you think your offensive line is going to be a little shaky, cherry pick some good offensive linemen out of the transfer portal. They'll, they'll be thrilled to go to Clemson. So yeah, I mean, it, that it's got to change. That thing fixes itself. Yeah, that that part fixes itself. That's all you got to do. Cherry pick some transfers, shore up the weak spots, and do do exactly what Lane Kiffin was was saying Nick Saban can do now. Because you can do that too if you're Dabo Sweeney. Clemson finished number five in the recruiting rankings in 2021. They had three five star players, fourteen four stars. Alabama had seven five-stars and 16 four-stars. Ohio State had seven five-stars and 13 four-stars. That might not seem like a difference, but that's a a difference of what? uh, Six or seven high-end blue-chip prospects. That's the difference between them and Alabama and Ohio State. You do that over a course of a four-year period, that's 25 less elite-level players that you have on your roster in in a given time. And I know that they can – Clemson and Dabo – for sure are the best talent evaluators. I think we've said that and given them their due for that. And they do things their own way. But I'm just wondering, like, as things go, their last two exits from the college football playoff were in blowout fashion. Granted, one was in the national championship game. And now they're going to miss the playoff. You know, I think 99% likely they're going to miss it this year. And I just, I wonder if Clemson is going to be Clemson, or they're going to take a step back on the national scale, especially if Georgia continues to do what they're doing this year and maybe Oregon makes the playoff. I mean, it just seems like a very critical juncture for their program. Yeah. And again, you can shore up some, some weak spots by just starting to take some transfers because but what, do you buy the quarterback thing you? though? Do you buy them with the quarterback thing? Like the two years that Clemson 
won the national championship. They had Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. And it's like, if you look yeah. at the quarterbacks that the, the other t- programs are, are recruiting now, Ohio State's got three top 100 quarterbacks on their roster. You know, the Bryce Youngs of the world are at Alabama now. Uh, Georgia, back-to-back years with five-star quarterbacks. I'm not sure that they have that advantage anymore. So, like, just that, just that alone to me is a major, major thing. So, if they don't have the... I- talent across the board and they don't have a distinct quarterback advantage anymore because DJ isn't yeah. an advantage. He might be a liability at this point. I just wonder like, maybe get an arch Manning there. Ari. Yeah. Yeah. No, I realize I that's I 2023, I but I think there's a real good shot. They get arch Manning. So yeah. I, I, I don't, and maybe I don't this is an overreaction. I don't know. They, they're recruiting fine at quarterback. They just need to block better. It's not that they're not recruiting fine is, at quarterback. Is, it's that everybody else is now too. That's fine, but they need to recruit better on the offensive line. That, that, that is undeniable. But the thing is, if you can't develop and if you can't recruit and develop that that quickly, good news. There will be plenty of offensive linemen who, if, if they have the chance to go to Clemson, will happily go to Clemson who've already proven themselves in college. You so the, the best evaluating staff in America can just say, hey, you know what? That guy is good. He's on our team now. You are the king. You're, you know what your mantra is, and I love you for it because I think it's true. But you always say, just because things are true now doesn't mean they're always going to be true, right? That's like your Correct. thing. So the thing I'm that just, just happened isn't the only thing that never that, that ever happened. Yeah, and it's not the only thing that's ever going to happen forever. It's the same thing as like the stock market. If the stock market's up, it always feels like when it's up that it's never going to go down again. And then when it's going down, it never feels like it's going to go up again. But I just feel like Clemson is a program that did the thing that nobody else has really done, which has gone from a solid program to an elite one. I just wonder if they have a harder time sustaining it because of that uh, than they would be for programs like Alabama or Ohio state and teams that are built the way that they're built based on geography and, and and long-term tradition, if that makes sense. Oregon went from solid to elite to not good to back to solid to back to elite. So it it's doable. It's it's doable. It happens. But do you think there, they're in danger are, of going to being just good? They're just good now. Yeah, but for so, multiple years. Like the, there's a difference in my opinion no, between. I, I I don't know. I, this may just be a down year. It, it's interesting because we haven't seen them have a down year in a while. Like the last time they they weren't this good was when Florida State was in the middle of going undefeated for essentially almost almost two full seasons. You know, going from the beginning of 2013 until they lost to Oregon in the playoff in 2014. That's the last time Clemson has looked mortal or normal. So it's been a really long time. We don't know what they're going to do. The, the, I, I just think like about everything discussion. has changed since then. Early signing period, uh, transfer portal, NIL, you name All that stuff has changed since then. So we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know how they're going to respond or how they're going to react. I really like I really like playing this game because seasons are weird sometimes. Teams miss playoff, whatever. It happens. One-off years happen. But I like to play program rankings, not current team rankings. And Clemson, two or three years ago, was undoubtedly maybe number one. You know, they were the team that was in danger of not, like Alabama was in danger of slipping. Uh, they missed the playoff. Clemson won a national championship. And you're like, oh, my God, Clemson is undeniably the number one program in college football. And now it's just like, are they their third for sure, probably, right? And they're slipping 
even more. So you have another year like this next year, and it's just like, where does Clemson fall in the program rankings? And I'm sorry for ranting about this because we're 11 minutes and 30 seconds into recording, and we haven't gotten to the 19 <laughs> other things on the list. But I think this is a really, really important time in a world where this season is going off the rails. It's it's going to have chaos uh, all over the place. If one of the, the elite un touchable teams of the last five, six, seven years is actually susceptible to falling in the program rankings. Yeah. Well, and, and look, that's, they're probably out. That's a team that, that usually makes the playoff that has made the playoff. What? Every year since 2016. That's right. 2015, excuse me, every year since 2015. So they've made all but one playoff, just like Alabama has made all but one playoff. I think it's very safe to say that Clemson's not going to make it this year. That means maybe some new blood's getting in. That's interesting. That's fun. Let, let's move to Norman, Oklahoma. Where <laughs> Perfect segue, but you're a veteran at this. West Virginia. Okay. I am not going to pile on West Virginia's poor center. That, that dude ha, has, is dealing with enough right now. That was brutal. I'm also not going to pile on Neil Brown for changing up quarterbacks because that was working putting green in running the read option with him and, and having a change of pace from Daigie it w- was working when they were doing it. So I'm not going to kill them for that in the fourth quarter in Oklahoma territory, but it did probably mess with the center's timing. That's where you get a snap infraction on the, on one play. You change quarterbacks again. Then you get a 21 yard loss on a bad snap that probably cost them the game. Now I don't know that they probably were still won. That, they were like on the edge yeah, of field well, goal no. range. Yeah. No, but they probably they probably kick a field goal and Oklahoma probably kicks a field yeah. goal and then they go to yeah. they go to overtime and maybe maybe West Virginia wins, maybe they don't. If that game's in Morgantown, I'm pretty sure West Virginia wins that game. I am not confident in Oklahoma at all under any circumstances. And I had Oklahoma playing for the national title in the preseason. I, I have no confidence in them to even win the Big Twelve. What's wrong with their offense? It, it does not get the ball into the end zone. They don't run the touchdown play like they used to. That's like the one thing that I never thought would happen. It's like, okay, Oklahoma's defense is, I mean, what was the final score of that game? 16-13? What world are we living in? Yeah, Oklahoma's defense is saving them. Imagine if this was the what? Oklahoma defense that again. Of, of three years ago. Oklahoma's defense is saving them. It's anarchy. Yes, yes, it is cats and dogs living together. It's insane. But but that's exactly what this is. That's, that's exactly what's going on. Without that defense being as good as it's been, there is, I mean, they've lost two games already. Maybe they might have lost three. They might be one in three right now. Yeah, I, okay. So I guess this is another segue, I guess, to continue to talk about Oklahoma, but who's the best team in the Big 12 right now? You're going to say Texas, and I'm going to disagree with that because I, I watched them get smoked by Arkansas, and uh, I'm not sure how well they'll handle a, a, a physical game. Segway but, to Arkansas? No, we're not segwaying. We, we're not done with Oklahoma yet. I, I'm, I'm trying to look up the stats. The, my, my, my iPad is killing me right now, but I'm trying to look up the stats on the Oklahoma-West Virginia game. You asked what's wrong with the offense. I think there's a, there's a couple things. There's no C.D. Lamb type, D.D. Westbrook type, just way better than everybody else receiver on the field. That person's not there for them this year. Um, they're not running the ball as well 
as they should be. Uh, they they have had dominant offensive lines. They, they've they've been thin at tailback. Because think about all, all the weird stuff that's happened with them with tailbacks over the years. So like it, it's been a while since they've been stocked at that position. But like, okay, here's here's the rushing attack for Oklahoma, and I will say. West Virginia's defensive line with Stills and Akeem Mesador is really good. Like that is one of the the most pleasant surprises of this season is how good West Virginia's D-line is. Oklahoma ran the ball 28 times for 57 yards. Their longest run on Saturday night was 9 yards. Like the thing that has differentiated Oklahoma, other than having a C.D. Lamb type or or a D.D. Westbrook type, or having Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts at quarterback, is they have been able to run the ball at will on everyone, and they can't do that. Did you hear that they were calling uh, for Caleb Williams? I heard it. I, you could hear it. the The student section was doing it. Holly Holly Rowe addressed it. You could hear it on the Oklahoma radio broadcast. I mean, it was it was plain as day. This was the Heisman favorite coming into the year. And potential number one draft pick, which he's not obviously going to be the number one draft pick. I mean, I think we've, we've probably settled that. Already. And it's like also but, at the receiver position, too. It's like, wasn't Marvin Mims supposed to be that? Wasn't Mario Williams a really bright young star? Like, I, they were supposed to have the talent at that position, too. So, you know, maybe not the C.D. Lamb type, because we're talking about a one of the best, you know, young receivers in the NFL now, but it's just like, it's just weird to me. And it, it yeah, just, you like, know who the best, ha- you know, the best receiver on the field was Bryce Ford Wheaton was the best receiver on the field. He plays for West Virginia. Yes. It's weird. Yeah. It's just like, if you start, if, and that's the thing too, when you start talking about these sort of things, you know, it's like early season woes and close games and close calls. But when you start questioning personnel, as you like to say, that travels. You know, if you're if right. you're if you're in a situation where you're not sure about what you have um, at the skill position, players at Oklahoma, I don't know how we got there because they recruit the heck out of the position, and they've got a lot of young, really good players on their team. Kennedy Brooks too is a really underrated running back. I I just don't know. Yep. You know, and Lincoln Riley is a is an offensive genius, right? Like, is that too strong? Yeah. Genius. So I just genius I like is I, a good no genius is a good word for it. I mean, he's found a way to make it work because Baker Murray, uh, Baker Murray, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, all very different quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley maximized. Now, they're all really good quarterbacks, evidenced by the fact that they're all starting in the NFL right now. But they he found a way to get the most out of out of all of those guys. He's not either. He's not getting the most out of Spencer Rattler or. Spencer Rattler was misevaluated, and Spencer Rattler is at his ceiling. I don't, I don't know what the answer to this. Uh, my guess is Spencer Rattler would look a lot better, and did look a lot better at the end of last season when Oklahoma was running the ball really well. So if they can't do that, then they're going to have problems. Let me ask you this, Ari, and we will bring in your your favorite underachievers. Is Red River going to be a rock fight this year? I don't know. Here's the other thing I'll say before we go to Red River, which is in two weeks. Oklahoma's going to Kansas State next week. I don't think that's an easy game. I know they lost you to Oklahoma State on Saturday. Kansas but State that has beat Kansas State that has beaten Oklahoma two years in a row. Yeah, yeah on Kansas the road in the, in the Kansas State that also uh, was a fringe top twenty five team. Were they top twenty five this week? 
you know, they got some uh, they talent. Were, they, they, yeah, they they beat they beat Stanford week one. Looked really good, but they you know they they had some injuries and and yes, Oklahoma State beat them on Saturday. So, but yes, Oklahoma could absolutely like I said, had Saturday's game been in Morgantown, Oklahoma loses. Manhattan is not an easy place to play. Yeah, yeah, no, I I I don't know what the the spread is there, but you know, I'm I'm taking the points. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's gloat on you a little bit, Ari. You, you and I had a good day in Friday's podcast, you especially, because I believe we both said take NC State with the points. We said take the Arkansas money line, and Arkansas did win outright, which I, I had A&M fans during the week coming after me for, for something I wrote in the mailbag because I'd said if A&M can't find a way to score – they're going to struggle to win this game, which seems fairly elementary. The only team of consequence they had played was Colorado, and they scored all of 10 points against them. Colorado then proceeds to lose 30 to nothing to Minnesota, which should have set off some more alarm bells in, in Aggieland. But they were like, no, no, that defense is going to carry. Oh, no, it didn't, because the defense had two busts, and you lost because you couldn't score. Yeah. What's going on there? I, what's going on there, Mister SEC? I have no idea. Well, I, I I know just judging by the the fans and their, their their frustration, they were frustrated that it felt like Jimbo Fisher kept trying to throw you know throw their way out of this when handing it to Isaiah Spiller was the one thing that got them in the end zone, and Spiller. Look, Arkansas's defense was was playing really well, but there were times when Spiller looked like he could he he reads holes so well and he'd look bottled up and he'd gain like 6 yards. Like just keep feeding him. Feed De, uh, Devon Achane. Like feed those guys because those guys can turn a hole into a touchdown just like Isaiah Spiller did that one time. But Calzada just could not handle the defense that Barry Odom was throwing at. And what that was, was they're going to rush three and he'll have time to throw because it's going to be five on three blocking. But eventually some defensive lineman is going to pop free. Calzada is going to, going to move out of the pocket. Once he moves out of the pocket, the nearest safety is going to come running straight at him and force him to throw. And he's going to overthrow it, underthrow it or do something else. That's exactly what happened 50% of the times they drop back. Can I ask you, 
Isn't this exactly what you thought it would look like? After watching Colorado is 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 pretty similar to what I thought it would look like. And and look, it, it's interesting because LSU just having played an air raid team, and we watched LSU beat an air raid team on Saturday, like SEC West defenses because they'd have to play against Mike Leach, like really understand the concept now of dropping eight. That's all anybody's going to do against you unless you prove you can run the ball or unless you you decide, hey, we can't, because I don't even know if they need to prove, like they can run the ball. And I realize A&M had offensive line issues and there were injuries and they kept having to move Kenyon Green around. And, but Arkansas had offensive line injuries coming to the game too. So th- there's no excuse here. Like, and this is this is what I told those guys because they're like you're being too hard on on A and M because they struggled in in one game. I said no no no, you want to be considered national championship contenders. You have to get judged by big boy standards now, and they're just not good enough. Now they may be good enough, they may have the talent, but the play calling plus the talent isn't working right now. I would I would guess if you know when Jimbo Fisher looks at this game, he's going to go back and say, "Hmm, you know what? Probably should just try to run the ball a little more, uh, try to set up some play action, try to because they're so talented in the backfield and they do have very athletic offensive linemen, even though some of them are young. Like when you watch that Isaiah Spiller touchdown, like it just the Red Sea parted. It was beautiful blocking." I think they can fix it. I don't think they're going to be a team that throws a bunch or that, that that rules through the air. They need to be a team that wins on the ground. I thought Arkansas looked bigger, faster, stronger, and more intense the entire game. I see. I disagree. I, I disagree with that. I thought Texas A and M's offensive line and defensive line looked very athletic. I was I was very impressed with them. Now I will say some of Arkansas's players were. Better probably than I than I realized they were, and you know I, KJ Jefferson, man, that dude is tough because he kept trying to come back in that game, and uh, and, and when the, when Hornsby was in, you knew they there wasn't much they could do, so Jefferson had to come back in, and he did at the end, and they salted the game away by by him completing a few passes, which I think really uh, was very impressive. Now. How healthy will he be when they play Georgia? I have no idea. I, I think this may be one where they got beat up so bad that that Georgia may may make them look very different than what we've seen so far. But, I'm just going to ask like, Trey this, Williams. Andy, what? And I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm gonna cut cut away. You and everybody else, rightfully, I might say, make fun of me for my Texas view. Mm-hmm. Something doesn't add up at Texas. We can agree, right? We definitely can agree. Can we say the same exact thing about AM? We can now. We couldn't we couldn't before they lost to Arkansas, but we can now because I don't know how good Arkansas is. We'll, we'll, we'll have a very good idea next week how good Arkansas is. They've got to play Georgia in Athens. I just I was just mentioning Trey Williams, who's a fantastic pass rusher, but can he get around Georgia's offensive line? That's another question. Uh can Arkansas run the ball on Georgia? That is a a very tough question. But Texas A&M being unable to beat Arkansas means they are not in the class 
that they wanted to be in. They wanted to be a national title contender. If if they can't beat Arkansas, then it calls into question whether they can beat LSU, obviously Alabama, Georgia. I, so these are all teams that they they would have to beat. Like, well, let me be more specific. You, you now, I don't mean- you now, if you're them, if you're them, you now need to be able to beat Georgia too because you have to beat everybody. I don't just mean this year. I just mean program. No, because I think last year they were they were moving in the right direction. They were in a good place. Yeah. So no, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a program thing. I I, I think it they need to have a probably better quarterback play, which I think they thought they were gonna get from Haynes King, and then he got hurt. But you gotta stack quarterbacks. Alabama stack when when Tua Tungabailoa went down. Alabama replaced him with another first-round quarterback. Now, they had no idea he was a first-round quarterback when Mac Jones replaced Tua, but they they had him there. You know, when, when these programs lose somebody, they, they've got somebody else ready. You know, Ohio State at one point had Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow sitting on the bench. So that's how you have to do it. Because like, I love sure what A&M Texas A&M has, has. I like what they're bringing in. I like what they've done in the Houston area. They have the nuts and bolts, in my opinion. And in the Stars Matter podcast, the new recruiting podcast that's on your beautiful Andy Staples show feed, um, we discussed which teams are the next in line to shake the hierarchy. And we both agreed, Mitch Light and I, that Texas Mm -hmm. A&M was the next team. And I don't know if this year is just a year too early. I agree with both of you because they they are getting it done on the line of scrimmage in recruiting. So, so is it like next year that when, when does it have to happen though before you give up? Because you've given up on I mean, Texas. I've given up on Texas until they just until they decide to get it all together, and they might eventually get it all together. A and M is is a special quarterback away, like a special quarterback playing at A and M on Saturday wins A&M the game. Beats Arkansas. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. And they've got a five-star quarterback from Houston, Connor Wegman, coming in next year. So it'll be very interesting to see how he adapts to uh, the role. But, you know, Texas A&M's also had some other top 100 quarterbacks go there that haven't panned out. So, you know, it's... Uh, right, but it's just... But that's uh, that's not just a Texas A&M thing. No, I know. How many top 100 quarterbacks don't pan out? A lot don't pan out. A I lot just had high hopes for them this year. And I, I thought that they actually were going to give Alabama a game and that they were going to be the team that built off of being a fringe playoff team a year ago. So like the fact that they're kind of just, what are they two weeks removed from playing Bama and already have a loss. And it's just like, Oh God. All right. Maybe next year, you know, and it's just like a tough thing to swallow. They still might, they still might beat Alabama, but I doubt it. I, yeah, I don't think so. And now I don't know if they can beat LSU and now I don't know if they can beat Ole Miss. And now I don't, I mean, that's just the SEC West is really hard. It's really, really hard. So, Let's let's move on a little bit. But did uh, you did you get confidence well, in Arkansas? You think Arkansas can yes. play with Georgia next week? Because I do. I no, said on the podcast no, on Friday. That, I said on the podcast on Friday, if Arkansas wins the game outright, I'm taking the points no matter what the spread is, and I stand by that. I'm curious to see what the spread's going to be. I also want to know uh, what Traylon Burke's injury situation is because yeah. he looked like he was in a lot of pain. When uh, yeah. when he went off the field, and if they and don't, he's one of the him, most important players. A, yeah, that's a big blow. Uh, before we move on to to the other heavyweight games, let's talk about Georgia. Georgia could have won 
Like they could have competed with the Georgia Tech Cumberland College score against Vanderbilt. Like they could have competed with 222 to nothing if they'd wanted to. Should they have started the running clock at the beginning of the second quarter in this one? Um, probably with about six minutes to go in the first quarter would have been a good time to do that. Man, I feel bad for Vanderbilt. I, I mean, <laughs> I feel Vanderbilt bad. Beat Colorado State. Vanderbilt beat the Colorado State team that almost beat Iowa. Like it's a weird, this it's a weird sport. Is bonkers. But but Georgia is off the charts good. You you talked to Shane Beamer last week about his his answer to that that crazy question and. It was a great answer. What he told you was fantastic, and it's and it's it's true. They are absurdly talented, and offensively, it feels like things are clicking into place. As you know, they and they still don't have everybody back. That's the other part of it. So, if Arkansas was completely healthy, if KJ Jefferson's healthy, if Traylon Burks is healthy, then yes, I'm giving Arkansas a chance going into this game. If they're banged up, I, I'm scared that. We're gonna say, oh no, Arkansas wasn't that good because Georgia just trust, you know, just dump trucked them. But I don't think that's the case. I think Arkansas is very good. I just think they're they're catching Georgia at a really bad time. But that is sort of the 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 other problem that we talk about with the SEC West. And I realize Georgia's not in the West, but if you've got Georgia on the other side of your schedule, or you've got Florida on the other side of your schedule, you could be really beat up from some of the games you've played, and then have to go play them, and it's even worse. I don't know if it's just like human nature as a sports writer, but Georgia has a very favorable schedule this year. Oh, 100%. This, this is, this this is why the we be- keep saying this is the path. It's open. This is the beginning of the only toughest stretch that, that Georgia has on their on their entire schedule. They start with uh, Arkansas next weekend, then a road game at Auburn, which that maybe that's not a tough game anymore. Home game against a sneaky, talented, good... Georgia State almost won at Auburn. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I don't know if if we just automatically assume that games at Auburn are tough, but, you know, I'll let the listener decide. And then they got a, a tough game at home against Kentucky, who I think is much improved and is a pretty solid team. And then they have their, their lovely game against Florida. That four-game stretch is certainly manageable for a team who's a national championship contender, but that is the toughest four-game stretch on... Georgia schedule and you're I don't know if we're talking ourselves into Arkansas being a game because we want to see you know Georgia play against a very very good team I don't know if the Clemson loss gave us more context to what their win over I I don't know that I buy into that that was week one Clemson was healthy you know both had their best shot out there but like they get through these four games and they beat Arkansas what's the toughest game left Florida without question and then but yeah, you know, maybe Florida will get but them. Ar- but Arkansas at a hundred percent. Yes, I think that's a tough game for Georgia. Arkansas banged up, maybe not as tough. But yeah, listen. I, at this point, should we doubt Sam Pittman in the least? I don't think we should. Because let's remember, for 2018 and 2019, Arkansas did not win a single SEC game, and Sam Pittman came in and completely turned that around. You know, they, they've beaten Texas and Texas A&M this season. Uh, they beat Ole Miss last season. They should have beaten Auburn last season. Like this is, this is a complete program turnaround. This is not a walkover game for Georgia, even even with Arkansas banged up. But I am obviously going to lean heavily toward Georgia because I just think with with 
if KJ Jefferson's not 100%, if he if he's not as much of a threat to run, if Burks is out or or is limited, I, I don't know how how you score on them. That's that's the problem. Yeah. Cuz this is this is take that A&M defense and just ratchet it up a couple notches. That's the couple kind of notches, athletes yeah. we're talking about. I don't know if yeah. the Chiefs could score on this team. <laughs> well, we won't get into that that debate, but <laughs> no, I mean it's but it it is it is very interesting. Let let's let's move out of the SEC. We go to Chicago, Soldier Field. Wisconsin and Notre Dame are in a rock fight for three quarters, and then Notre Dame just blows them out in the fourth quarter. Do you know who the happiest team in America was Saturday? Was you going to say Notre Dame? The Cincinnati Bearcats were the happiest team in America because they're off. (laughs) Notre Dame got beat up. Notre Dame is now still undefeated, and now we think Notre Dame's really, really good. It's set up perfectly for them. You're right. Yeah, because now Cincinnati's going to drag them into another rock fight. I don't know who's going to win. It's at Notre Dame Stadium. I, you know, I, I would. I think now Notre Dame will be favored after what we saw in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin. But I, I think this will be a really good game. And I think you know if if Notre Dame has any residual just pounding that they took from Wisconsin, which. Wisconsin's not really pounding you up front. They're not running the ball very well at all, but it's still a tough game that, that, that you know was kind of a slugfest for three quarters. I think that really sets up nicely for Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. I actually think Cincinnati's going to win the game. I'm not fooled. I, I think Notre Dame is above average. I don't, I'm not going to put them in the, in the great category. And I've got a question for you. At okay. what point are we allowed to start questioning whether or not Wisconsin needs to change its like identity as a program. Like, and I don't know if it's just, maybe that'll never happen. Like the smash mouth freak offensive line, talented running back, old school offense uh, is what they are. But like maybe today was the last day that we should view their offensive philosophy as acceptable. Like the best quality uh, that we say for college football coaches that there is. <laughs> just throw it out. It's been working since Barry got there in like I'm not saying just throw it just out. Throw I'm it just out. saying. Throw it out. But what's the best quality of college football coaches that we say? It's it's being able to adapt. And they and have adapted defensively. They have adapted defensively. They went to a 3-4, and that's why you saw them have success with Aranda, and they've had success with Jim Leonard, because that it helps you with a 3-4. Three, 3-4 three, allows you to take more tweeners. You don't need that those perfect archetypes on the line that, that the, the four-man front teams have. But here, here's the thing. Wisconsin also is usually playing at its ceiling. There will be years when that ceiling is just not high enough. This may be one of those years. They just might not be that good at, at opening holes. I, I know I know that it's blasphemy to suggest what I'm saying, um, especially considering the fact that they've gone and out and won eight to ten games every single year without much sweating, you know, and they are what they are. But I feel like Wisconsin fans also have an idea of, hey, we would like to win the Big Ten or, hey, we would like to to beat top 25 teams from other conferences with regularity. And it's just like adaptability is so important. But for Wisconsin and their archaic offensive philosophy, it's like charming. And I don't know why you can't run the ball and be smash mouth out of different formations or spread it out a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of really good spread teams that can run the football really well. They've done that over the years. They've, they brought in more, eh, 
I mean, they're not running an up-tempo spread, but they've they've spread the field more. Just like every NFL team has spread the field more. It's like they didn't have an offense. I, I don't, they didn't have an offensive line. Their running back isn't dynamic. And Graham Mertz is just like not who we thought he was. So maybe that's the problem. But, you know, if you're Wisconsin and this is your identity, I find it ex- inexcusable that you would have a game where you don't feel like your offensive line is very good. Ari, Wisconsin's going to have down years every once in a while. When you're, when you're, when you're playing at your ceiling – and you're playing against teams like Notre Dame, and you're being judged against teams like Notre Dame and Ohio State that have higher ceilings than you, there are going to be years where you just aren't good enough. It's going to happen. You just kind of have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, but like, I just don't know if I can accept any year of Wisconsin not having a good offensive line. Like, if that's who you well, are and, as and a program. I, I think that's a, that's a legitimate that that's a legitimate thing, and it, whether that's a development thing or an evaluation thing, I, I'm not entirely sure. But you're right; they should be better up front. They're if that's not. your identity, that's it. That's like either if that's who you are, and you don't want to move anything. And like I understand too, it's a it's a pretty radical thing to say Wisconsin should change what they've been doing successfully for the past thirty years. I don't even know if it's rational. It was just a moment of thought while watching the game. And it's just like, to me, if you are that, and that's what you are, then even during your down years, you still should be running the ball pretty well. Like, that's the only thing that you, you should be you, doing. You is will get, run the ball pretty well against not Notre no, Dame they were and not the Green Ohio Bay Packers State. out here. I mean, well, like, here's the thing. We're going to find out. We're going to find out how well they run the ball next week. They play Michigan. We watched Michigan against Rutgers. What did we, what did we say? It felt like Rutgers was going to cover on Friday. We said that. 20 and a half. Rutgers lost by seven. We said, we got to see if Michigan can throw. It kind of looked like they could for about a quarter and a half. And then their offense just completely stalled out. So my guess is that Wisconsin defense is going to put the Wisconsin offense in some pretty good situations next week. It's going to be up to that Wisconsin offense to catch it, cash in, and we'll see where they're at. Maybe Notre Dame just has a really good defensive front. Yeah, Maybe Penn before, State just has a really good defensive front. I, I suspect they do. Before the season started, we said that this game on October 2nd would be the season-defining game for Michigan. And at this point now, I'd be surprised if they lost to Wisconsin. Like I, I'm like firm, and I know Michigan didn't have the sexiest win against Rutgers on Saturday, but you know at the same time, you know Rutgers has a very good defensive-minded coach. Uh, you know they were winning twenty to three at halftime. You know they only got like what nine offensive plays for the first quarter and a half of the second half. Uh, you know they didn't really feel themselves, but I don't know that the alarm bells are going off for Michigan. I think that. Right now, based on what I've seen, that Michigan's just a better football team than Wisconsin. And the thing that I don't understand about Wisconsin, and maybe it's as simple as this, is just the quarterback production is just not there. And and, and, I I don't know why not. You're Mr. Stars Matter, and you're realizing that maybe Jack Cohn was better than Graham Mertz, despite the fact that he didn't have as many stars. I'm not realizing. I mean, listen, the head coach at Wisconsin, there was a quarterback battle. Who won? Well, Jack Cohn got hurt. You had to pick somebody. I know. After that season. So you picked the younger person. So that that's what happened. It, I would say they were probably pretty close. I, I, I doubt that was that there was a lot of separation there. 
I know, but Merce was playing. Just judging by the way they two, two play. He might not be. I'm not saying he's Brett Favre, but, like, it was brutal to watch. I'm not trying to pile on it, but it was, like, brutal. It, it was not good. It and when, when Mertz went to Wisconsin, I thought he was going to be the talent that was going to elevate them into winning these games with ease and actually having a chance to win the Big Ten. It's like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and, and again, I'm not giving up on them yet because it may just be Notre Dame has a really good defensive front. Penn State has a really – I'm pretty sure Penn State does. Like I, I feel very confident about that at this point. So I'm not giving up on Wisconsin yet. You, you, you've given up on the entire philosophy. Up. You're going to call Barry Alvarez and like, dude, it's time. You had your time. I'm not saying they should go out the there and print. run Hawaii spread. Blue, I'm just the saying. The blueprint you created is gone. You've retired. Now that you're not there anymore to, to come in and, and coach bowl games, we got to get rid of everything you brought. Can, can you? Sorry, Barry. If you're a Wisconsin person, though, and tell me if I'm just full of crap and I'll accept it. But okay. is there a way to maintain your philosophy and be what you've always been and recruit the same way and put the but just spruce it up a little bit offensively or do you Absolutely. just have that's all no, I'm it's saying possible. I'm not I'm not and, saying and, and, go run five wide every play but you are you are thinking they need to the, the problem is with the skill positions the problem is not with the skill positions the problem is the thing they're usually good at they're not good at right now they're not good up front that needs to be fixed you fix that, everything else looks greater, looks much better. But they're, yeah, their skill position players historically have been the problem against elite level teams. That's always yeah. been the case. But I don't think I, I don't really think that's necessarily the issue right now. I, I, I think it's a lot of yeah. hey, open a hole. And and everything else yeah. looks better. Because play action is easier a, when you're opening. Yeah, if holes. that's the problem at Wisconsin, then it's just like, okay. Open a hole. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is a game that 
I mean, this score. This could go in any direction, by the way. Of, of all of the <laughs> scores today, this is the one I think at the end of, uh, of when that game was over, it shocked me the most. Georgia Tech 45, North Carolina 22. Georgia Tech outgains the Tar Heels. Now, Sam Howell did not have a terrible game. He averaged 7.8 yards per attempt. He threw for 306 yards. Georgia Tech averaged 6.1 yards a carry. North Carolina averaged 1.8 yards a carry and lost three fumbles. Georgia Tech might, like, I, I know my, probably my feelings are colored by them losing to, North, uh, to Northern Illinois in that first week. But Georgia Tech could be much, much better than we realize. What's up with North Carolina? Even if They're Georgia Tech is better, well. even if, Nor- if Georgia Carolina, Tech is better than yeah. we realize, like North Carolina was, a, dude, their over-under for the year was, so, uh, for wins was 10. Like, what yeah. what's going on there? It's, it's a very weird situation. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I, I was really high on them coming into the year, and it's just like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Well, I always thought if you get your whole offensive line back and you get the quarterback back, that you, losing the backs shouldn't be the end of the world for you. But it really has been a problem for them. Losing Michael Carter and Javante Williams has been a huge problem for them. They're just, they, they can't run the ball like they did before. And when they can't run the ball, nothing else works either. Yeah. You know, I, I viewed this game as a 59-point win. Not a 59-point win, but a 59-point scoring barrage that we were going to get from North Carolina. It felt like they overcame the weird first quarter or first uh, loss, first game uh, at Virginia Tech in a weird opening spot, and we're starting to get things rolling a little bit, and then you come out here and not only lose, but lose by three touchdowns to Georgia Tech. It's like I'm not trying to take anything away from Jeff Collins and, and the mighty Yellow Jackets, but even if they are better than we think they are, that's kind of a crazy result to me. It's like there's something wrong there. Well, they're just not as efficient offensively. Now, they looked they looked like themselves against Virginia, which I don't think Virginia's defense is very good. If you watch the, the Wake Forest game on Friday night, Wake Forest just kind of sliced through them. Uh, Wake's defense was, was pretty good. We, we may have to get to the is Wake Forest the best team in the ACC conversation, or that might be one for next week. I don't know. What about but BC, man? What about BC? They, they, that was a, you know, when they lost your COVID, I, I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be trouble for them, but there's, I mean, one few games without him, uh, Grossell looked very good against Mizzou, but yeah, I, I, the, the ACC is in a weird spot. Uh, but here's the thing, BC and wake same division. They're going to play each other. They're going to, they're all going to play Clemson. We'll find out. Is Boston college going to play with Clemson next weekend? I mean, is Clemson going to score a bunch of points on anybody? I don't think they are. So the ACC, if it, being rational, is probably eliminated from the college football playoff discussion, right? I, I, th- I mean, I don't like to do that in September, especially when a league has undefeated teams still. So I, I don't know that we can say that yet, but I think it's it's fairly likely that this is the first year of the college football playoff that will not include an ACC team. I think if, if we were betting on that, you and I would both bet on that right now. Heavy favorites that there won't be an ACC team. 
Correct. You know, it's not easy to, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to BC and, and Wake Forest, but I don't think they're quite into the progression of their programs where they would be in that position. So yeah. if Clemson's and one out, of, one of them is going to take at least one loss because they got to, they got to play each other. That's correct. So, you know, Florida state's out as <laughs> Florida state out. Um, by the way, easiest bet of the weekend. Do we say, do we talk about that? I, I think I've mentioned it. Louisville minus one. Uh, that was, they were handing oh, out yeah. free money. Uh, this weekend. Well, and and the stands, oh lord, like it's it's bad. Now, Florida State did come back after after going down by a bunch, but somebody tweeted at me, "Are you doing the math on this one now?" Because that was I wrote the story about Willie Taggart where I explained the math of of his buyout and how mm-hmm. they kind of couldn't afford not to fire him. And I don't think they have any cash to fire Mike Norvell, but when it's sitting there, I think it was thirty one to seven at one point. I think it ended at 3123 or 3124. But at 31-7, I'm looking, I, I clicked over to the game and I'm looking at the stands and they are empty. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think they have enough money to fire him, but if this gets any worse, you may have to figure out a way. Like you how much does their 22 class matter? Well, and that's the thing. They've got some true believers in that class, but I also think if you fire Norvell, you might lose some of them. That's right. So do you give them another year, get those kids in your program, save some cash? I have or, no idea. Or is there a point, point where Florida State's too far gone? Because I got to well, like, even if you, Florida State keeps losing, can it get worse? Every time it happens, we'll feel worse. And especially if they're non-competitive against some, some people. I mean, they're going to play. They got Syracuse. If you watch Syracuse Liberty the other night, Garrett Schrader, former Mississippi State quarterback, made that offense go. Now they don't they don't throw the ball very much, but they can run it pretty well. And maybe, you know, maybe Florida State can can stop the run and and have a chance in that game. But if you lose to Syracuse at home, then you've got North Carolina on the road. You got UMass. If you lose to Walt Bell, your former offensive coordinator, who him going to UMass cost you Sam Howell. I mean, come on. There's so many. There's ways this can get a lot worse, Ari. And then and then what do you do? Because they have the stretch of at Clemson, NC State, Miami. And, and my, well, I don't. we don't know if Miami's any good or not either. Like Manny Diaz, depending on how the next couple weeks go, might not be there when they play. So there's so much in flux right now. And the ACC is just, it's a weird place. It is a very weird place. And now comes the existential crisis of, remember, they've never been left out. And the reason they've never been left out is they've always had one great team. Not sure they have one great team this year. Florida State wasn't even on our list, man. Well, I had to. (laughs) <laughs> you, you you walked me into it, and I had to do it. So let's get back to the list now. Baylor beats Iowa State. Now, it was close. Baylor took a big lead. Iowa State came back. Iowa State had a two-point conversion there at the end. Could not complete the pass. But that's a huge win for Dave Aranda. And I think it, one of the group texts that, that I'm in, Somebody asks, is the shine off Matt Campbell? I'm like, no, because he, Matt Campbell's still 
took Iowa State to a, a nine-win year, won the Fiesta Bowl with them, took them to the Big 12 championship game. Like, it's Iowa State. It's supposed to be really hard to win there. But is he a miracle worker right now? No, he's not. Miracle seasons and sustaining miracle results are very different. I think it's very easy to be a prisoner of the moment and to view a miraculous year where you're on the verge of potentially winning the Big 12 as something that is maintainable or sustainable. And it's just a harsh reality that it's hard to do it twice. It's like the other sweetheart. Yeah, and that's at Iowa same. State, it's really yeah. hard. And guess what, man? Indiana stinks too. Like the schools last year that were the sweethearts of the season, it's hard to do it. And like, I love Tom Allen. I'd hire him tomorrow. It's just really yep. hard to do it when people are expecting it. And in the Big 12, where every single game is close for some reason, unless it's Oklahoma, and even now those games are close, it's just like really, right. really hard to get through that schedule and not lose two, three games or four games, you know? And it just, I didn't know that I, I would have pegged Iowa State to lose to Baylor, but it's not a surprise. It doesn't make me look twice. That's so on brand for the Big 12. No, and I think the Big 12 will be fun this year because I think they're, if if Oklahoma's going to play close games against everybody, it's going to be a lot of fun because you're just going to watch until something crazy happens. But I mean, it's just, yeah, when Oklahoma goes to Waco, that doesn't feel like a slam dunk anymore. Nothing feels like a slam dunk. I like it because Bohannon was, was carving up Iowa State's defense for a while. And Iowa State has a pretty good defense. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is going to be it's going to be a wild year in the Big Twelve. But I do want to head back to the Big Ten for one minute because we didn't talk about this game, and I, I think we mentioned this on Friday, and it was a line that we were like, "This line looks really weird," and it was it was Michigan State by five and a half over Nebraska, and sure enough. If Adrian Martinez doesn't submarine the guy who intercepted him in an overtime to slow him down, then it covers. Michigan State covers. Michigan State wins by six in overtime with a pick six. Michigan State, I believe, going into the punt return for a touchdown that tied the game late in the fourth quarter. If I'm not mistaken, at that point, Michigan State had gained. 12 offensive yards in the in the second half. Nebraska's defense might just be really good. Like they stopped Oklahoma last week. They certainly shut down Michigan State in the second half. But the offense can't seem to generate enough to get them over the hump. And you know, I I wonder how much longer they can take losing like that. Cuz that that was a game they were in, there were chances to win it. And, you know, we've piled on to Nebraska plenty. I don't feel like this is a time to pile on to them. I, I feel like there is improvement happening. But if they keep losing like this, at some point, do you lose the team? And, and do they just say, look, uh, enough of this? Nebraska shows up in really bad spots and does really bad, dumb things and, and when it means the most. You know, like the punt return touchdown with three minutes and 45 seconds left in the game. You're up by, up by You're seven points at that point. You're stopping them. And they just touch like, the ball. get it together. You know what I mean? And 
I, I know I was joking about feeling bad for Vanderbilt fans, but boy, do I feel bad for Nebraska fans because they're so oh, they got, nice. They're so yeah, nice. They got gut punched last week and they got gut punched this week. And they, you know, and I don't know how much these getting. types of wins matter. Do they matter? Like at a certain point when you're a, when you're a dumpster fire, it's just like, does beating Michigan state reel you back in or is it too far gone at a certain point? And it's just like, I yes, guess that's this, what you're saying. This, this would have mattered. Yeah. This would have mattered. Like they needed this because now they play the Northwestern. We don't know if Northwestern, I'm mean, the, the same Michigan state team that they played basically to a draw at Spartan stadium. That team dominated Northwestern. So maybe, maybe this is going to be different. Maybe Nebraska can beat Northwestern, but after you've just lost a game like that, where you were so close, you've got Scott Frost has got to get them back up. And I, I would imagine given everything that's happened over the last few years, the stuff Scott Frost says to, to motivate, I don't know that it works all that well at this point. And at a certain point, though, like the the Nebraska isms, the dumb Nebraska showing up is a reflection of the coaching staff. Yeah, no, I listen. You you can't absolve them of anything. They should be much better by this point. It is year four. They should be better. They should not be losing like this. We don't know what Michigan State is. We don't know if Michigan State's any good. You know, they had a good fourth quarter against Miami. Miami may be really bad. We don't know. But Michigan State under Mel Tucker, who took over, I would argue, a worse situation than Scott Frost took over four years ago. Mel Tucker took over a worse situation last year and now has them better. Like, they are demonstrably better than what Mel Tucker took over. That's how you take over a program. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. I just say at a certain point when it's Nebraska, it's just like, what else is there left to say other than sorry, guys? I, you know, I just like. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to talk about uh, somebody quitting the team in the middle of the game? Yes. Let's let's go to Columbus. <laughs> Kayvon Pope escorted to the locker room during the, the Ohio State Acre game after a blow up on the sideline. He tried to go into the game, according to Letterman Monroe, he tried to go into the game in the second quarter, was waved off by Toronto Mitchell, and then back on the sideline, he he walked toward the locker room before he was walked back by a staff member, and then he tweeted something. Am I allowed to say it? Is this like, are we allowed to say it? Use the letter. We try to F keep bomb the E off this. Ohio State. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> F Ohio State. He, he tweeted that, and then he's like, but I love my teammates afterward. And then deleted I, I, the f bomb. Yes. Have you Ryan ever seen Day anything like that a, before? Yes, there was a Florida running back a few years ago, and I'm blanking on the name, but it was the year that Jim McElwain got fired. Who, I think it was immediately after the game was was tweeting, like, "I'm done with this" or something like that, and then he was done with this. So it's it's. Not completely on her during the games a little during the game bit of a stretch yeah that's that's a little different I, I understand too because like you're talking about a a senior who is built like a like a bodybuilder who's put in the time and they're playing Akron and stick with the program and was supposed to have a big role probably is upset about not getting in uh not getting into the game uh, when they're playing Akron and they're 
winning by 40 or whatever the, you know, obviously not the way to handle it, but what a crazy, the Ohio State beat is the most insane beat there is. And the Tennessee beat says, hold my beer. I think that Ohio State's wins. That would be a good Um, column. Craziest situations that happen at college football programs over the course of the past 10 years. We could go one for one if you want. And I guarantee you, Ohio's LSU's going to, we're going to have to call Brody Miller in on this. LSU's going to, going to want to have a say in this. Texas is going to want to have a say in this. You know, maybe it's because I was on it, but yeah, the listen, just think about Ohio state the past two weeks player quits team in the middle or game, the quits team in the middle of a game and, and tweets out uh, the F bomb uh, player released from quarterback team was hurt. starting quarterback was hurt. They had to start a true freshman player was released from team a few weeks ago for allegedly leaking uh, the password right. to the film to a message board insider named Nevada buck. And that's just the last two weeks. We're talking right. about scandal. We're talking about dysfunction. We're talking about craziness. A high school football player quit his team in the middle of the year and rolls early and then gets a $1 million NIL deal. Like every single possible crazy thing that can happen, both positive and negatively happens to Ohio state every single year. And it's like my time on the beat ended with Trestle resigning over Tatgate or began with Trestle and and it ended with the Zach Smith stuff. And it's just like, that's kind of like my, and just like if you go through the years and I don't even know if people remember this, but Ohio State had a commitment uh, to their team, who now is in the NFL, who went and visited Ohio State um, after committing, I believe, and then accidentally met up with him with a pedophile in the middle of what? his visit and then decommitted. Go look up the Alex Anzalone story. He's on the Saints now. Oh, like, yeah. There's nothing great. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, the craziest. Yeah. It's just like every possible thing that's weird. That could happen at a college football beat has happened on the Ohio State beat. It's yes. Uh okay. It's a very convincing case. I still want to put that up against the Tennessee coaching search that that had yeah. Greg Schiano, which tangentially was an Ohio State beat story as well. It was Greg yeah. Schiano worked there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm not but, saying that the other crazy things don't happen, but I just feel like Ohio State is in the front and center of crazy news cycles at all times over the craziest things. And it's, it's non, it's, it's unrelenting. By the way, I I don't want our West coast friends to think we're not paying attention to the PAC 12. We are recording as we watch PAC 12 after dark. Uh, I basically, I, I told Ari, let's start recording when I felt like Oregon had, had moved into control of the game against Arizona, but Arizona uh, is driving down 24-10 and, and into Oregon territory, and it looks like they're about to get in the red zone. So Jordan McLeod, the uh, the USF transfer, looking looking all right. Uh, also, Oregon State is beating USC 21-17 coming out of halftime. If Oregon State holds on, this is, you know, if, if Clay Helton hadn't been fired yet, we would have been waiting, Ari, until the end of this game to record this podcast. But they can't fire Clay Helton again. But can we say that Jonathan Smith doing a hell of a job at his alma mater, Oregon State? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was texting Antonio Morales, our USC beat reporter, before the game. I'm like, 
why is USC only a 10-point favorite against Oregon State? And he goes, have you watched this team? <laughs> and, uh, you know, here we are. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, the the, the uh, Pac-12 after dark is always is always something worth monitoring. And, and last week, uh, the, the Hainer mania happened after we got done recording. Yes. So, you know, who knows uh, in the 20 minutes after we're done recording tonight what craziness we're going to see from Arizona or Oregon or one of these crazy teams on the West Coast. And bo- boy, do we love you guys. I will come back. If, if something wild happens, I'll come back and re-record an intro. <laughs> just that just to make that. sure. Yeah. Yes, yes. Our, our, our producer, Cam Molina, is, is listening in, and he's going, oh, God, no, don't make me stuff any later. But no, we, we trust us. We, we're going to make sure we take care of our friends on the West Coast as well. We're going to go back to the SEC West for a minute, though, because I need to celebrate something. The death chip is off the table. Thank you, <laughs> LSU for, well, Mississippi State for touching the onside kick before it reached 10 yards, before to travel 10 yards. That meant LSU could take knees and win a three-point game in Starkville, which I don't know that I'm much more confident in LSU. I think their defense played well. They definitely, you know, had the correct defensive philosophy against an air raid team. Offensively, I'm still not sure I'm entirely confident in them, but I did appreciate that they just snapped the ball let their better athletes be better athletes every once in a while, and, and it worked out for them. And I don't have to eat the death chip that Ari ate last week. Yeah, and I also heard you uh, saying some things on this podcast in passing that were very, very LSU positive. So I'm trying to figure out whether or not LSU is your Texas. No, they're not my Texas because I, I you continue you believe in, in Texas no matter what. I, I'm going to need LSU to make me believe again. Like I, I I don't have any confidence against in them against let's see against Alabama against Florida I'm not sure how much confidence I have against against Texas A&M Arkansas Ole Miss I, I'm not like I'm not going to be like they're going to kill it no I'm not I, I don't, <laughs> LSU's I don't know five game stretch games. starting October yeah. 9th Kentucky on the road Florida at home on the road at Ole Miss on the road at Alabama uh, at home versus Arkansas have fun. They got to play Auburn this week. Let's let's get into this. Auburn was losing to Georgia. Georgia State was whacking Auburn. Like Georgia State was demolishing Auburn for a little bit. And you can say, oh, you know, they, they this is a big come down from the whiteout against uh, against Penn State. I don't care. Like I expect the Jeremy Pruitt Tennessee team to lose to Georgia State. Auburn should never be losing to them, and. They got bailed out by the officials. There was a review where they called something a catch that, that most likely wasn't a catch. But the more significant event that happened in this game is they did bench Bo Nix. Things were not going well. And, and so this is, what ha- this is what I thought when it happened. And Ari, tell me if I'm wrong or not. Brian Harson can bench Bo Nix because he's new there. Gus couldn't bench Bo Nix because he'd been there too long had too many people in his ear, and was like, you can't, you can't bench Patrick Nix's kid. The hardest thing about being a head coach in college football, just generally speaking, is the politics and the things that you have to avoid when you're talking about the quarterback position because it's so delicate and so many people have visions of, of what it should be, not just from the fan and booster standpoint, but also your team. 
you know, people forget too that the players on the roster are human beings with feelings and opinions. And if you start messing around with that position, you, you risk messing around with your locker room chemistry. So, you know, I get that it's a first year and, you know, your team is losing to Georgia State. You got to do what you got to do in order to make sure that you, uh, you know, survive that. But yeah, well, I mean, TJ, I guess I can TJ buy- Finley makes a miracle play for them to win that game. Now, if you look at the final score, you're, you're going to be like, what are you guys talking about? There was a pick six as Georgia State desperately tried to, to score at the end. But TJ Finley was sacked no less than three times. Like, was was dead to rights, should have been sacked no less than three times on on Auburn's last offensive touchdown. Does a play touchdown. like that give you a starting spot the following week? Just that alone? The fact that they, they won with him, yeah. And he now he also overthrew a wide open receiver in the end zone right before that. So uh, that seems fairly consistent for them. But here's the tricky part. Where did C.J. Finley just transfer from? You know. LSU. So, I mean, I think you started just for the drama. Just start him just for the drama, uh, you know, the, the, the fun of, all right, you guys picked Mac Johnson. He left. He's at Auburn now. Let's go. Man, and TJ Finley was like, wasn't he supposed to be like the next Jamarcus Russell? He he, And he looked great. Remember, he started against South Carolina after Miles Brennan got hurt. Looked fantastic, but then did not look and, – and got destroyed – by the way, by Auburn and Bo Nix. So all of this comes together. It's just, it, the SEC, and especially the SEC West, is just an incestuous little ball of hate. You, you, you give me somebody like that, though, who's six foot six and 260 pounds, and I'm, I'm in. I want to see it. Oh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is going to be – it's just going to be a – Fabulous game. I don't care. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't care what happens. It's going to be fabulous no matter what. So I, I just, I can't wait. And and look, I realize this is usually a review podcast, but we, we kind of need to talk about the schedule next week because there's a chance that a lot of things can happen. This is, it's one of those, you know, the, the, the established order is in danger. You've got Ole Miss playing Alabama. That's in Tuscaloosa. Matt Corral has been, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. You and I have talked about the significance of, of the Michigan Wisconsin game. Mm-hmm. That's happening. Uh, oh, by the way, touchdown Oregon state. It's about to be 28, 17. Arkansas goes to Georgia. And I realize I said, I think, if they're banged up, it's it's going to be hard for them. But again, should we should we be doubting Sam Pittman at all at this point? And he also knows at least George's offensive lineman. He knows them pretty well. Cincinnati at Notre Dame. We've established that the the people most happy about everything that happened this weekend, the Cincinnati Bearcats, should be among them. Oregon goes on the road to Stanford. I mean that that is going to be that's going to be an interesting. I know Stanford just lost to UCLA, but for Oregon, this is a, a another big road test. You mentioned OU going on the road to Manhattan. Yep. 
Florida goes to Kentucky, and I would argue that Florida did not look particularly great in the first half of the Tennessee game. I think they looked better in the second half. Anthony Richardson did not play again. Dan Mullen said after the game the hamstring's okay, so I think we're probably going to see him against Kentucky. Boston College plays Clemson. That doesn't feel like a gimme at all. And then that Auburn-LSU game that I just talked about. All of that is happening next week. Oh, by the way, I mentioned that Ole Miss-Alabama game. Guess who's on the podcast on Wednesday? I think I know. Is he a quarterback? Matt Corral. That's right. (laughs) The quarterback of the Ole Miss Rebels. And this is a guy that if he continues playing the way he has, now he's got to avoid the games that he had last year. You remember he had six interceptions against Arkansas and five against LSU. If he avoids those types of games and and just like he doesn't have to win them all, but if he plays consistently throughout this season, there's a good chance he's the Heisman winner. There's also a good, a very good chance he's the first quarterback off the board in the NFL draft. He's the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman right now, isn't he? Yeah, but I mean it's September. A lot, a lot can change. A lot can change between. Hey, now let him let draft. him have it. You better introduce him as oh, that. Well, but I, I think the draft thing is probably a little more, and I realize stuff can change there too, but if he doesn't have any sort of meltdown game with a lot of interceptions, and it seems like he's much better at taking care of the ball now, then I don't I don't think there's going to be a question that he's the first quarterback off the board and, and some quarterback needy team takes him number one. He is the reason why Arch Manning is going to Ole Miss. Oh, you think he's going to Ole Miss? I think he's going to, to I have no idea. <laughs> but I think uh, <laughs> I, I think that it makes uh, Ole Miss a little sexier though. Well, you saw that that family ties. The only person the, the only person that Lane Kiffin follows on Instagram is Arch yeah. Manning and Matt Corral. Matt Corral t- took a screenshot of that and was like, "Coach, come on. This hurts." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, recruiting is more important than keeping your quarterback happy, I think. Well, let me give you a little preview. Behind the curtain, we've already recorded the Matt Corral interview. So uh, he's going to tell us what you get if you pay $10,000 for a Matt Corral appearance. He's going to tell you what you get for your ten grand. He's on Wednesday? He's on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, that's what my babies do. So we'll, uh, we'll play I that. Want you to we'll listen. Play that I interview. want you listening to that in the <laughs> delivery room. That's, that's it. Book it. We may call you in the delivery room, and we'll 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 put the audio in Friday's show. Yeah, but are you now screaming. a dad? What's what's up? Your yeah. thoughts? I'll yeah. I'll do the sideline reporter interview with you right after the baby's born. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of a, a better excuse to fly to Dallas before for a work trip. Have you? I I don't think I have. I I mean I think. I've never been a sideline reporter, but I think that would be great. You you in the gown coming out of the uh, the. Actually, I didn't wear a gown in the living room. They didn't make me do that. So uh, I'm, I'm making it more of a sitcom event than, than it actually Don't is. You, I thought you have to wear scrubs. I did not have to wear scrubs. So now it's Florida. There are no rules here. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in Texas. <laughs> Second place, right? Ari, in all seriousness, your life is about to change in the best possible way. You will, you will never, you never knew you could love anything as much as you will love that little girl when she comes out. I'm so happy for you. 
I know we may not be able to talk about college football for a little bit. I hopefully not too long, but I cannot wait. You're about to begin the greatest adventure in the history of the world. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. And I'm glad that I got in on uh, Saturday night uh, to get this recap out there because it felt pretty good. Um, and I'll be back way sooner than you think, I think. So uh, I'm looking forward well, listen, to it. And- you're, you're, on a, you're on a roll. You're on a hot streak. You're, everything you gave out Friday cash. So yeah, I, I fully you, expect you to be back soon. You never get up from the table on a heater either. So, you know. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, you're getting up from this table. And you're, you're going to the living room. And it's all happening. Everybody congratulate Ari Washman. I want I want all of you tweeted him, Instagram, DM him, slide into his DMs. Just tell him what he's got coming because life's about to change. Thank you so much for listening. I'm back Monday with, with David Oven for Football and Grits. Wednesday, you're going to have Matt Corral on this show. Tuesday, Nicole Auerbach and Michael Felder with Power Hour. Thursday, One True Pod. Friday, me and I don't know. It won't be Ari. I'm so sad. It's going to be somebody. We'll find out. It is going to be an amazing week, though. Amazing for Ari for amazing reasons. But amazing for us, for the schedule I just ran down. This is going to be nuts. Saturday was great. Next Saturday is probably going to be even better. I love this sport so much.